This is the Morning Rush. Coming up on today's show, the number one seeds in the NBA playoffs choke (laughs) away their pivotal game fives. The Orioles' road woes continue. Losing, losing, losing. The Pirates keep on losing. The Wizards are in the market for a new head coach. We'll check out the action in the Stanley Cup playoffs last night. And we'll get you caught up on all of the high school uh, baseball and softball action. All of that stuff, much more, coming up in the next two hours of the show. Uh, Good morning to you. How the heck are you? So glad to have you on board. So glad you could take some time to tune in and hang out as we kick off this Thursday Thursday. I told you yesterday, I am doing away with the essential workday open like I usually do, like I have done for the past year or whatever it's been. I'm through with it. I'm finished. No more of this essential non-essential crap. We're just kicking off another beautiful day here on the south side. Several ways to get involved on the show, as always. Check out our Twitter pages, at WCMD Morning Rush, at Rush Tony C. That's the letter C, not the word C. Facebook page, at WCMD Cumberland Radio. All those pages free and open to the public. Like them, follow them. Anytime you want, it is highly encouraged. Uh, Get involved on the show. Drop me a line. Got a question, comment, opinion, whatever. Uh, Those pages are available to you. As is the Rush Line, 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial and dance. Shumo, 301-759-2628. And, of course, uh, check out our podcast page on the free Podbean app. We upload every show every day, minus the commercials. So if you missed anything, go back and check it out. Just download that uh, Podbean app on your phone or tablet or whatever. Search uh, WCMD Morning Rush, and there you go. It's all right there for you. All right, uh, lots to get to today, particularly uh, regional stuff. So let's kick off today's show, as we always do. With the rock around the region. I want to rock! And we'll start with Major League Baseball, where the Nationals were looking for a sweep of the Pirates in D.C., and they got some help from a former Pirate. He would not hate to punctuate this series against his former team <laughs> with a long home run. Well, you know he would. I'm sure he has a lot of fond memories of Pittsburgh, but the team trades you, they don't want you around anymore. Josh Bell... As if on cue, deep right center, see you later. That triples the lead. And Dan Coco gets the Masson Summoner Award of the Year. The call on Mid-Atlantic Sports Net 3 won the final as the Nats get the win. And the three-game sweep, Josh Bell, two hits, including that two-run home run. 34-year-old Paolo Espino, who was starting in place of the injured Max Scherzer, allowed three hits, 
in five scoreless innings to pick up his very first career major league win. Brian Reynolds had an RBI single for the Bucks, who have now lost 10 straight games. Elsewhere, the Orioles were once again in Cleveland, once again trying to snap their long road losing streak, and once again, they did not. That's hugging the line. It's a fair ball. Around third scoring is Rivera. Coming around third, Zimmer. I mean, he's like a gazelle. He's going to score without a throw. Cesar Hernandez delivering with the two-out, two-run triple. The call on Fox Sports Ohio, that two-run triple by Cesar Hernandez, made it 8-5 Indians. They went on to beat the O's 8-7 and hand Baltimore its 18th straight loss on the road. Ryan Mountcastle had three hits, including a two-run homer for the O's. He drove in four runs. Trey Mancini also had three hits for Baltimore, which is now tied for the eighth-longest road-losing streak in Major League history. And they are now just four shy of the record of 22 straight road losses, shared by the 1943 Philadelphia A's, the 1963 New York Mets, and, and the 2021 Arizona Diamondbacks. The D-backs... Lost to the Giants last night, 13-7. So Arizona has now lost 22 straight games on the road. What are the odds? And if you're an Orioles fan, you don't want it to happen. You don't want to see it happen. What are the odds that that record, which has stood, again, since uh, 1963, gets tied or broken twice in the same season? The Diamondbacks have already tied it. The Orioles... Uh, now just four losses away from doing the same thing. It's incredible. In high school baseball, in the uh, West Virginia AA Region 2 Finals, North Marion beat Frankfurt 9-1 to to sweep their best-of-three series and advance to the state tournament for the first time in the program's 41-year history. Uh, Jace Reinhardt tossed a complete game two-hitter for the Huskies, He struck out six and walked none. He also went three for three at the dish and drove in uh, two runs after the game North Marion head coach Vic Sakuro. I knew these kids were special, and like I said from the get-go, we've told them, you know, you you can get there. Just, you know, don't be your worst enemy. You can get there. Make teams beat you. Don't beat yourself. And they've proven that all along here in sectionals and right now too. Frankfurt's only run uh, came on a homer by Andrew Lynch. The Falcons end the season at 12-12. In Class A, two-time defending state champ Moorfield is heading back to the state tournament after beating up on South Harrison 17-1 to sweep the uh, Class A Region 2 final. Yellow Jackets took advantage of 10 walks. Matthew Jenkins hit a two-run home run for Moorfield, which is now 20-5 and will head into the state tourney on a 13-game win streak. On the Maryland side, Catoctin scored four runs in the first and four more in the second and went on to beat Northern 13-5 in the 1A state semifinals. The Cougars scored their first four runs on two hits and five walks. Isaac Bittinger and Landon Broadwater each had three hits in their final game as a Husky. In high school softball, 
Allegheny, congratulations, headed to the Maryland 1A state title game for the first time since 2017 after a 7-0 win over Cambridge South Dorchester in the 1A state semifinals. Kyra Pittman struck out 14 in a complete game shutout. Katie Stern had three hits, including a double and two RBI. The campers, now 12-0, will take on top-seeded Patterson Mill in the state title game. Patterson Mill, which is 22-0, beat Clear Spring in the other state semifinal 12-0. The campers uh, looking for their first state softball title since 2010. And in the Mountain State, in a winner-take-all game three, Oak Glen beat Kaiser 4-3 to win the AA Region 1 title and advance to the state tournament. So that uh, puts a cap on Mineral County sports for the school year with Frankfurt losing in baseball, Kaiser in softball. That's it. So really, I guess the only regional team left is Allegheny, the, the girls' softball team, right, as far as baseball and softball goes. In college football, West Virginia landed its second defensive back commit for the class of 2022 in Mumu Bin Wahad out of Georgia. Uh, he's a six foot, one hundred and eighty pounder from Grayson High School, which went fourteen and zero last season, and won the Georgia seven A state title. Uh, he had twenty four tackles, three picks, and eight passes defended. Ben Wahad uh, chose WVU over Arizona State, Michigan State, Penn State, TCU, and South Carolina, among others. And that is your loaded rock around the region. Uh, brought to you by uh, somebody. Oh, the Cap Raleigh Group. There we go. So, uh, going back to the Nats and the Pirates for a second. <clears throat> Nats get the three-game sweep. Pirates are horrible. They're on pace right now for, I think I saw it, their third worst record in the history of the franchise. If you, if you can believe that. And we talked about this team during the shortened season last year when they only won, I can't even remember, but the 20 games, it was a ridiculous number. And how if you would have, you know, extended that out to a full season, it would have been one of the worst records in Pirates history. Now they're playing a full season and they're on the same pace. I think they're on pace for 105 losses now, <laughs> which would be the third most. The Pirates have been around for over a century, 113 years. And uh, they're on pace for their third most losses ever. They've lost 10 straight. And I guess throwing salt into the wound is when you have former Pirates helping to extend that losing streak. And Tuesday it was Jordy Mercer who made a a spot start for the Nats at third. He had three hits against his old Pittsburgh team. And then yesterday, it was Josh Bell, who the Pirates traded to the Nats in the offseason. He had two hits, including a two-run homer. So it's bad enough. It's bad enough you get swept. But when you got guys you used to have on your roster beating you up, that, that just makes it worse. The Nationals uh, manager, Davey Martinez, says, hey, that's why we brought those guys in. This is the reason why we brought them in, because we knew that you know, they were winners, they want to win, and they play the game the right way. And you see that you know, today, 
know, Josh Bell, you know, he got a hit, but he got he hit a big home run, threw in homer for us. So that was awesome. You know, uh, Jay Hay, Mercer stepping in for Starling. You know, that's that's huge. So, um, you know, asking Schwarber to, to lead off. You know, that some of that, some of these things aren't easy, and he accepted it, and he's been doing really well at it. So. Um, you know, these guys, no matter what I ask them to do, they step up and they do the best they can at it. Yeah, and he mentioned uh, Jay Hay as well, Josh Harrison, former Pirate. So, again, it's a hard pill to swallow whenever your team is just as awful as the Pirates, but you see all these former Pirates. Garrett Cole went eight innings last night for the Yankees. Picked up a win, former Pirate. And you thought that maybe, just maybe, the Pirates had an outside chance of winning yesterday's game because they avoided Max Scherzer because Max is on the injured list with a uh, a growing in injury. So Paolo Espino gets to start yesterday. A 34-year-old journeyman, never won a game in his major league history. He gets the start. And you think maybe, maybe the Pirates could, you know, get fat off of this guy. But then again, the Pirates, you know, they were they were throwing that DeYoung guy, the Chase DeYoung. I can't remember his first name. And it was an afternoon game yesterday. It was uh, 4 four oh five, whatever it was. And so uh, I was home with Little C, and we're, we're actually watching the game. And... He was like, what do you think? You know, do you think we can get to this? You know, can we we win this game? I said, I doubt it. Because I don't think the Pirates offense is good enough to take advantage of a guy making a spot start, right? Well, the Nationals offense would have been good enough to beat DeYoung. And actually, DeYoung didn't pitch that bad. I mean, he he went five innings, gave up one run. He didn't pitch poorly at all. He pitched well. It was Bednar that crapped the Bednar, and gave up that two-run homer to Bell. And the Pirates' offense was struggling anyway. I mean, they have just been horrible. They've lost 10 straight games. They haven't scored more than four runs in any of those games. It's the first time in 53 years they've gone 10 games without scoring more than four runs. So you thought, but maybe, though, maybe, they could, you know, get it done, come out of the, you know, the slump, against Espino. And all he does, he he gives up three hits and no runs in five innings. He goes five scoreless. Back to uh, Davey Martinez on uh, Espino's performance. Yeah, he was, like I said, he he continued to make his pitches. And he believes that, you know, he has a strategy on every hitter, and he sticks to that. And and Jan did really well to coach him through it, but he's, you know, he, he's determined to get out and get quick outs, and he, he did that today. I mean, it was, you know, he got runs on second and third, and I'm sitting there just kind of mapping things out, and I really had a lot of confidence in him to get the, get those outs and uh, and keep us, keep us in the game, and he did that. You know, at one point, the Pirates weren't even that patient. Through four innings, he had thrown 40 pitches, so he was averaging about 10 pitches an inning, which is exactly what he wanted. You know, if you're Martinez and the Nats, that's exactly what you wanted. He didn't get deep in the counts because the Pirates weren't patient enough. As a matter of fact, very first hitter of the game, Adam Frazier, first pitch, grounds out. I think it was, what, a five-pitch first inning? 
it's not what you want against a guy, a 34-year-old, making a spot start. Make him work a little bit. Pirates just didn't make him work. He was in trouble once. And he was. They had Pirates got a guy in second and third with one out. And, of course, they didn't score because Philip Evans struck out, and then I think it was a ground out to a second base. And that was it. Other than that, Espino just shut him down. I mean, good for him. But for the Pirates, come on. That's all you could that's all you could muster? Really? Zero runs against this against this cat in five innings? And then the Orioles, I I don't even know what to tell you. 18 straight losses on the road. And we've talked about this before where they couldn't, early in the season, they couldn't win at home. And now they can't win on the road. They, well, basically, they can't win anywhere. All right, that's that's the true sign of a sorry team when you just can't win anywhere. First, it was on at home, and now it's on the road. I got to check this real quick because I still don't have my laptop, so you have to excuse me. That's becoming worrisome, by the way. I told you the story about the laptop the last couple of days. My laptop went belly up. I took it to a Smart Choice in Lavelle on Tuesday. And I didn't hear from them at all yesterday, which worries me. Now, it could be maybe they're just busy. Maybe I'm just, you know, maybe they're backed up and they just didn't get to my laptop yet. Or my old laptop is in such bad shape that they can't recover it. That, that worries me. I hope I get a phone call today. Because, as I've mentioned uh, a few times already, if they can't recover that stuff from my old laptop, I'm just I'm going to cry. I will I will literally just break down in tears if I can't get that stuff because there's so much stuff on that laptop. But anyway, uh, bear with me here. All right, so the Orioles, uh, 22 and 45 overall, they have 11 wins at home, 11 on the road. So there you go, perfect split, 11 and 21. At Camden, 11 and 24 on the road. It's okay. Is that the worst home record in baseball? Let's see here. I've got an 18, got a 15. But okay, as you expect, the Diamondbacks have a well, actually, no, they have a little better record because they have fewer games at home. The Diamondbacks are 11 and 19 at home, the O's are 11 and 21. The Diamond. <laughs> They're nine and thirty on the road. <laughs> nine and thirty. Holy smokes! Then right in front of them is the the Rockies are five and twenty seven. This is this is crazy. And we talk about you know Colorado where you know, it's it's a hitter friendly park. Look at this. The Colorado Rockies are twenty three and fourteen at home. All right, they are nine games over 500 at home. On the road, they're five and 27. Five, they have five wins on the road. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if they even played 500 on the road? They they would be right up there. Instead, they're 28 and 41. That's incredible. But the Diamondbacks, like, like we mentioned in the Rock Around the Region. They lost again last night. They tied the record 
for consecutive road. They've now lost 22 straight games on the road. That's amazing. The Pirates are much better. They're 10-25 and 25 on the road. They've only won one more game on the road than Arizona. That's just pathetic. It really, I, I, I've, run out, I've run out of ways to just <laughs> describe just the absolute ineptitude. I guess there's one way to describe it. I mean, how pathetic is that? To be so bad, not only on the road, but at home. Thank God for the Diamondbacks, where the Orioles would be the worst team in baseball. And again, the Pirates not too far behind. Anyway. It's hard to get it's hard to get up for. I can't it's one of those things where, hey, when's football, you know, you're you're checking the calendar. When's football start? I know we're in mini camps now. I know we're in mini camps, but when's football start? When, when training camps? Give me, give me a calendar. Because I could be, I could be done with baseball right now. I, I, right, I, I could walk away from baseball right now. Only reason why I talk about it now because I have to. When's football start? Because the Orioles and the Pirates, and, and, and to some extent, even the Nationals, I think, are done. Although they, they are playing better of late. They're 6-4 and four in their last 10. But again, playing the Pirates, that, that'll help. Speaking of football, let me switch gears here for a second. I saw this yesterday, and I couldn't believe it. Uh, Jameson Hensley, who covers the Ravens for uh, ESPN, he uh, tweeted something out. Let me see if I can find it here real quick before we go to break. Again, bear with me here. Without my laptop, I'm kind of like a bit of a mess, more than uh, usual. He tweets out something about a pass that Lamar Jackson threw in minicamp. And somebody asked him for video. Like, you know, hey, you have a video of, of the pass. And he says... We are no longer allowed to take video of Lamar Jackson throwing passes in minicamp. And that just absolutely blew me away. I'm trying to find the exact uh, tweet here. Because you know darn well, Pittsburgh people were making, they had a a field day. Uh, The Pittsburgh media, oh my goodness, they had a field day with it. But they're not allowed, for whatever reason, (laughs) to take video of Lamar throwing passes in practice. I don't know if that came down from Harbaugh. I don't know if that came down from the front office or where it came from. So now, Hensley and anybody covering the Ravens, they're pretty much stuck with having to describe the passes on Twitter because they can't show video of it. I'll tell you what, let's go to break. And I'll look for it during the break. I, I want to find the exact tweet, the exact uh, because I thought it was ridiculous when I saw it. Like, I couldn't believe it. Like I thought he was, he was he was making a joke of it that they would not allow him to, to take video of Lamar. I mean, are they really that worried? Are the Ravens really that concerned about Lamar Jackson that they have to kind of protect him? Uh, is he really that sensitive to people talking about his his passing ability or or in some cases lack thereof? All right, I'll look at it during the break and see if I can find it. And then also when we come back, 
Uh, we'll get into last night's action. NBA playoffs. Both number one seeds in prime position to take leads in their respective series. And both number one seeds absolutely choking those opportunities away. Stick around. That's coming up next. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. I found the tweet from yesterday. Again, Jameson Hensley, who covers the the Ravens for ESPN. He's at uh, Baltimore Minicamp, right? And he tweets out, this would have been, I guess, yesterday morning at camp. Says, Lamar Jackson made his best throw of the spring, hitting Sammy Watkins along the sideline on a pass that went 50 yards in the air and hit Watkins in stride. Watkins, who beat Marlon Humphrey on that throw, had a strong day. And somebody uh, replies to that and says, so we're not going to get the video? And then Jameson replies, media is no longer allowed to film Lamar Jackson throwing the ball to receivers. (laughs) How soft is that? That's soft, man. I'm not saying it was Lamar's idea. It could have been Harbaugh's. It could have been somebody from the front office. I don't. But that's soft. The media is no longer to record Lamar. And then somebody from Pittsburgh, one of the uh, the hosts on the fan, replies, "Good thing this doesn't apply to tight ends." or else every Baltimore game would be blacked out this year. (laughs) It's going to happen. You are inviting that kind of comment when you go out of your way to protect your quarterback like that. And, of course, the comments underneath was just fantastic. Like you're gonna you're gonna give this guy a, a, a giant extension, and you and you can't even let the media film him throwing the receivers. Like why why are you hiding? Like what are they hiding? Why are they trying to protect him? I mean that's just you're a professional football player, man. Right comes to the territory, comes with the territory. I mean look, it's not the end of the world that you, we can't see you know. Video from minicamp, but it's just, it's just, it's odd. It's odd. That now I have no reason to believe that Jameson would make that up. I have no reason to believe. Why would he tweet it out? I mean, we'll all survive not being able to see Lamar Jackson throw passes to receivers in minicamp. It's just an interesting decision. This is your, this is your franchise quarterback. This is your franchise quarterback. This is a guy that's going to carry you to the promised land, and you won't even let you. You're going to protect him so much that you can't let the media video passes in, in minicamp in June. I don't know, man. I, that's me, again. I'm not saying Lamar's soft. I'm saying that decision, whoever made it, is is soft. Speaking of which, as we switch gears to the NBA, we had both number one seeds in action. All right? Last night. And 
the number here to remember, or numbers, teams that win game five in a series, that's tied 2-2, go on to win the series more than 80% of the time in the NBA playoffs. And we had two game fives last night, both series tied at two games apiece, both series involving the number one seeds, Philadelphia in the East, Utah in the West. Both teams, number one seeds, seem to have an advantage. Now, look, the Sixers blew an 18-point lead in Atlanta and lost that game. The Hawks tied the series two games apiece. But the Sixers were back home, pivotal game five, and early on, uh, it looked like it wouldn't even be a contest. It beat fakes, turns, baseline fadeaway, got it. And that one is so, so good. The touch, the maneuverability, and a Dirk Nowitzki-like one-legged step back, that's good. It'd be with 24 in the first half. 24 in the first half for Embiid. That call right there on 97.5 The Fanatic. Sixers held the Hawks to 40 points in the first half. 40 in the first half. And things only got worse for the Hawks. In the third quarter. Another three by Seth is good. He roams the perimeter and knocks down another trifecta. He's got eight field goals, seven of which are threes, 23 points, Sixers 81, Atlanta 56. 81 to 56. The Sixers had the lead with about four minutes to go in the third quarter. Let me repeat those numbers for you. 81 to 56 at home pivotal game five and guess what happened now it's Danilo Gallinari in the middle to Lou Williams a long three by Lou he makes it Lou Williams 15 points off the bench and the Hawks cut it to 11 Trey Young walks it across Trey driving Trey in the lane little floater is off the rim off the rim and in Trey Young scores he's got 34 and the Hawks have cut it to two it's 104 to 102. So they come all the way back and they cut it to two. Trey Young, by the way, who you just heard in that last clip on 92.9 The Game, was on the bench. He was on the bench. Right? The Sixers were up by 26 in the third quarter. He was on the bench in his warm-ups, icing his injured shoulder. Like, he was done for the night. And before you know it, he's back on the floor because the Hawks... Chip away, chip away, chip away at that 26-point lead. Chip away, chip away. They pulled within two, and then... Hawks need to get a good possession here. Trey guarded by Simmons. Now up high they go, Lou Williams. Gets it down low, Danilo Gallinari guarded by Curry. He's posted up on him. Gallo backing his way in, double team. Gets it out to Lou. Lou fakes, now it's down to five. They go back to Gallo. Gallo turns, shoots the right-hander, and hits it! Danilo Gallinari knocks it down. It's 107 to 104. Hawks lead by three. They got the lead. They come back from 26 down in Philly to get the lead, and they held it. Philadelphia was ahead by 26 points, and this Atlanta Hawks team that believes never gave up, never gave up, came all the way back, and they defeat the mighty Philadelphia 76ers, 109-106. to 106. Atlanta leads the series three games to two, and they will have a chance now to wrap this up and move on to the Eastern Conference Finals. 
on Friday night here at State Farm Arena in Atlanta. How about these Atlanta Hawks, folks? They can't be denied anymore. Trey Young was left off the all-NBA teams. Well, I think he showed some of those voters tonight. 39 points for Trey, leading the comeback as the Hawks win 109-106. Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. One of the biggest choke jobs you'll ever see in a playoff series. The Hawks rally from 26 down on the road to beat the Sixers 109-106 and take a 3-2 lead in the series. Embiid, on his bad knee, had 39 points. Seth Curry had 36. They were the only two Sixers to make a field goal in the second half of that game. The Hawks outscored the Sixers 40-19 to in the fourth quarter. 40? Remember, the Hawks only had 40 points the entire first half. And they scored 40 in the fourth quarter. Even with four and a half minutes left in the game, the Sixers still had a 97.5% chance to win the game, and they did not. Truly just a stunning turn of events. You heard the guy on 92.9 The Game say it. Trey Young, 39 points. Here he is uh, after the game on TNT. We kept fighting. I just seen, I've been saying it all year. I've been saying it all, all playoffs. We keep fighting. And uh, no matter what the score is, no matter if we're down or we're up, we're always going to fight. And uh, I'm proud of this team. We, we keep fighting. What is that like in the huddles down the stretch when you look up and you're down 20 points? at the end of the game, and you still have enough confidence in each other. <laughs> like, like I said, we, we have confidence in each other. We're a, a great group, great group to be around. We all love each other, love each other's company, and it shows on the court. And uh, we, we never stop believing until the final buzzer goes off. Coach McMillan trusts you implicitly. He says you're calling more, more plays for your team. What's this like down the stretch for you, knowing you're in control of what happens? Uh, it's, it's a lot. I mean, it's great that I have a coach that, that trusts me and uh, trusts me that I'm going to put our team in the best position to win. And uh, I'm still learning. I still have a lot to learn, a lot to get better at. Um, but I feel like right now we're, we're in a good place, and uh, we just got to keep winning and keep, keep believing in each other. So the Hawks come back from 18 down in Game 4. They come back from 26 down in Game 5. How improbable was last night's win by Atlanta? We'll talk about that next, and we'll hear from both head coaches. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. Talking NBA playoffs and the major choke job collapse of the Sixers last night, blowing a 26-point lead in the third quarter. They lose to the Hawks by three. Atlanta gets the three games to two lead in the series, a chance to close it out in game six. Here is how improbable uh, the win was last night for Atlanta. Philadelphia became the only team to lose back-to-back 18-point leads in playoff games in the past 25 seasons. The 22-point halftime deficit the Hawks overcame was the third-largest halftime rally in NBA playoff history. In the last 25 seasons, 
The 76ers were 165-0 when leading by at least 25 points at any point in a game, regular season or playoffs. At one point, the Sixers had a win probability percentage of 99.7. And that was near the end of the third quarter. That's amazing. When you think about it, the Hawks at one point, according to the ESPN percentage thing, had a 0.3% chance of winning that game, and they pulled it off. Doc Rivers, oh, by the way, has now been the head coach in five of the eight biggest blown playoff leads in the last two years. Here he is after the game. We'll be back here for game seven. I believe that. The mood was down. It was awful. What, what, what would you think it would be? It would have to be, right? And so this is part of sports. You know, you, you have some awful moments. There is no guaranteed path to get into your goal. We have made this hard on ourselves. We have to own up to that, all of us. And then we have to get up and be ready for the next game. And, and it's going to be a crazy atmosphere. Good. Uh, we'll be ready for it. Ben Simmons, by the way, was uh, targeted once again by the Hawks. And you remember when the Sixers were playing the Wizards in the first round and the Wizards were intentionally fouling Simmons to send him to the foul line because he's not a very good free throw shooter. And somebody asked Doc Rivers after that game, hey, do you think about you know taking Ben off the floor in situations? And he was, he he bristled at the suggestion that he takes Simmons off the floor. Well, the Hawks employed the same strategy last night, intentionally sending Simmons to the line, where he was 4 of 14. He is now shooting under 33% in the playoffs from the foul line. Atlanta sent Simmons intentionally to the foul line eight times in the second and fourth quarters last night. He was three of eight. He was three of eight in those second and fourth quarters. Four, he missed ten foul shots. Missed ten foul shots. He, I mean, that's he's the starting point guard, and he can't shoot free throws. Here he is after the game. This one hurts. I'm not going to lie, but at the same time, we got a job to do in Atlanta. we got to go do it, so. We got to stay focused and locked in and go get that win. But we know what we got to do. And again, everybody from the Sixers disappeared last night in the second half. As I said, Embiid and Curry were the only two to hit a field goal in the second half. Over the last 31 minutes and 34 seconds of the game, Simmons was the only one that had a field goal other than Embiid and Curry. This truly is. One of the biggest collapses you'll ever see on, on any playoff stage. Brian Windhorse, who covers the NBA for ESPN, listen, he was on with Freddie and Fitzsimmons last night, and he, like everybody else, was just absolutely stunned. You know, your your competition, the favorite to win the, the, the East is the Nets, right? I mean, they were unbeatable a few weeks ago. They were the odds-on favorite. Well, They've been decimated. You know, one of their guys is out, and I don't think Kyrie's coming back for the conference finals. And the other guy's got one leg. I mean, you should be smelling blood, and they were. 
But the second half of this game, the fourth quarter was like a funeral. And, and um, this is one of those losses that that's like that's going to be on them like a tattoo, man. It, it mm. I, I'm having I, I got no skin in the game, and I'm having difficulty processing. <laughs> you can tell during that whole interview, Windhorse was just he was he was shocked. He was in shock at what he had just witnessed, and he went on to say in that interview that it, this is one of those losses, especially if the Sixers go on to lose this series, that will haunt them forever. This is one of those bad memory games that Philly fans, the Sixers themselves, it was never forget. It'll haunt them for if they you – no, know, look, they can win easily. Oh, well, no, 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 sorry. I shouldn't say easily. But it's possible that they could win the next two games and win the series in seven. This isn't the end-all, be-all. It's not like, can you you imagine if they blew a 26-point lead and lost a series, like in Game 7? They still have, you know, a chance to come back. They're, I think they're still the better team. I mean, they're number one seed for a reason. And I think if they win Game 6, they'll win Game 7 back in Philly. But now their backs are against the wall, and you talk about a tough task. You're, now you you got to pick yourself up as a team. You got to pick yourself up after blowing a 26 point lead in the third quarter, hit the road, and try to rebound and beat the Hawks in their house to try to force a game seven. That's that's going to be brutally difficult. And we'll, and we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see if they can actually come back and rebound or if the Hawks can, can shock the world and actually win the series and send the Sixers home pack. And the Sixers were only one of two top seeds to choke last night. We'll talk about the Jazz after the top of the hour. Stick around, WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. Rush line is open, 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial and dance. Shum on. 301-759-2628. 301-759-2628. And, of course, our podcast page on the free Podbean app, where we upload every show every day minus commercials. We cut it up, clean it up, wrap it up, stick a big old bow on it, and leave it there just for you. So if you missed any part of a show, go back and check it out at your earliest convenience. For instance, if you missed last hour, we talked about the horrible Pirates and Orioles, which we'll get to here in just a bit when we rock around the region. Talked about the Ravens, for whatever reason, no longer allowing the media to video Lamar Jackson throwing passes to receivers in minicamp. (laughs) And we talked about the 76ers with an epic collapse last night, blowing a 26-point lead in the third quarter at home to the Hawks. They lose by three. The Hawks take a three games to two lead in the series. And they were just one of two number one seeds to blow a golden opportunity last night, which we'll get to in just a bit. But first, let's once again, as we always do, rock around the region. I want to rock right now. And we'll start with Major League Baseball. Where the Nationals were looking for a sweep of the Pirates in D.C. And they got some help 
from a former Pirate. He would not hate to punctuate this series against his former team <laughs> with a long home run. Oh, you know he would. I'm sure he has a lot of fond memories of Pittsburgh, but the team trades you, they don't want you around anymore. Josh Bell as if on cue, deep right center. See you later. That triples the lead. And Dan Coco gets the Masson Summoner Award of the Year. The call on Mid-Atlantic Sports Net 3-1 the final. As the Nats get the win and the three-game sweep, Josh Bell two hits, including that uh, two-run homer right there. And we talked about the game before on Tuesday. Uh, Jordy Mercer, another former Pirate, had three hits in game two of the series. Bell, a couple of hits, a couple of knocks, a couple of runs batted in yesterday. And uh, manager Davey Martinez says, hey, that's why we got these guys in here. This is the reason why we brought them in, because we knew that you know, they're winners, they want to win, and they play the game the right way. And you see that, you know, today, you know, Josh Bell, you know, he got a hit, but he got he hit a big home run, threw in home for us. So that was awesome. You know, uh, Jay Hay, Mercer stepping in for Starling, you know, that's, that's huge. So, um, you know, asking Schwarber to, to lead off, you know, that some, of that, some of these things aren't easy. And he accepted it, and he's been doing really well at it. So, um, you know, these guys, no matter what I ask them to do, they step up and they do the best they can at it. 34-year-old Paolo Espino, who was starting in place of the injured Max Scherzer, of course, Max on the IL with a groin issue, allowed three hits in five scoreless innings to pick up his very first career Major league win. Here is manager Martinez on Espino's performance. Yeah, he was like I said. He, he continued to make his pitches, and he believes that he, you know, he has a strategy on every hitter, and he sticks to that. And, and Jan did really well to coast him through it, but he's, you know, he, he's determined to get outs and get quick outs, and he, he did that today. I mean, it was, you know, he got runs on second, and third, and I'm sitting there just kind of mapping things out and. I really had a lot of confidence in him to get the, get those outs and uh, and keep us keep us in the game, and he did that. Brian Reynolds had an RBI single to drive in the only run for the Bucks, who have now lost ten straight games. In those ten games, they have failed to score more than four runs in any of them. First time in fifty three years, they've gone on a ten game stretch where they can't score more than four runs. Elsewhere, the Orioles were once again in Cleveland, once again trying to snap their long road losing streak, and once again, they did not. That's hugging the line. It's a fair ball. Around third scoring is Rivera. Coming around third, Zimmer. I mean, he's like a gazelle. He's going to score without a throw. Cesar Hernandez delivering with the two-out, two-run triple. The call on Fox Sports Ohio, that two-run triple by Hernandez, made it 8-5 Indians. They went on to win 8-7 and hand Baltimore its 18th straight loss on the road. Ryan Mountcastle had three hits, including a two-run homer for the O's. He drove in four runs. Trey Mancini also had three hits for Baltimore, which is now tied for the eighth longest road losing streak in Major League history. And they are four behind the record of 22, which is shared by the 1943 Philadelphia A's, the 1963 New York York Mets, and now 
the 2021 Arizona Diamondbacks. The D-backs lost to the Giants last night in San Fran 13-7. So Arizona has now lost 22 straight road games. What are the odds that that record gets tied or broken twice in the same season? I mean, seriously. It's been stuck on 22 since 1963. And now we have two teams within the first couple months of the season threatening to tie or break that record. That is awful. The Orioles, by the way, uh, 11 wins at home this year, 11 wins uh, on the road. In high school baseball, in the AA Region 2 Finals, North Marion beat Frankfurt 9-1 to sweep their best-of-three series and advance to the state tournament for the first time in the program's 41-year history. Uh, Jace Reinhardt tossed a complete game two-hitter for the Huskies. He struck out six and walked none. He also went three for three and drove in two runs after the game, uh, North Marion head coach uh, Vic Sakuro. I knew these kids were special, and like I said from the get-go, we've told them, you know, you, you can get there. You just, you know, don't be your worst enemy. You can get there. Make teams beat you. Don't beat yourself. And they've proven that all along here in sectionals and right now too. At North Marion, the fourth seed out of five teams in their section, and now they're going to the state tournament. Frankfurt's only run came on a homer by Andrew Lynch. The Falcons uh, finished their season at 12-12. and In Class A, a two-time defending state champ Moorfield is headed back to the state tournament after beating down South Harrison 17-1 to sweep the Region 2 final. Yellow Jackets took advantage of 10 walks. Uh, Matthew Jenkins hit a two-run home run for Moorfield, which is now 20-5 and and will head into the state tourney on a 13-game win streak. On the Maryland side, Catoctin scored four runs in the first inning, four more in the second, and went on to beat Northern 13-5 in the 1A state semifinals. The Cougars scored their first four runs on two hits and five walks in that first inning. Uh, Isaac Bittinger and Landon Broadwater each had three hits in their final game as a Husky. In high school softball, Allegheny, congrats to the campers. They are headed to the Maryland 1A state title game for the first time since 2017 after a 7-0 win over Cambridge South Dorchester. In the 1A state semifinals, Kyra Pittman struck out 14 in a complete game shutout. Katie Stern had three hits, including a double, and uh, drove in two runs. The campers are now 12-0 and will take on top-seeded Patterson Mill in the state championship game. Uh, Patterson Mill, which is 22-0, beat Clear Spring in the other state semifinal 12-0. Campers looking for their first state softball title since 2010. In the Mountain State, uh, in a winner-take-all game three, Oak Glen beat Kaiser 4-3 to win the AA Region 1 title and advance to the state tournament. So with the Frankfurt baseball team and the Kaiser softball team losing, that puts a wrap on uh, Mineral County sports uh, for this very long and difficult school year. And in college football, West Virginia landed its second defensive back commit for the class of 2022 in Mumu Bin Wahad out of Georgia. He's a six foot, 180 pounder from Grayson High School, which went 14 and 0 last season and won the Georgia 7A state title. 
He had 24 tackles, three picks, and eight passes defended. Uh, ben Wahad chose West Virginia over Arizona State, Michigan State, Penn State, TCU, and South Carolina, among others. And that is uh, your jam-packed uh, Rock Around the Region brought to you by the Cap Rally Group. So, best, how about Allegheny, the softball team, huh? Head to the state championship game. Good on them. They're their last, they're their last uh, team left. As far as baseball and softball goes in our region, right? That's it. Because I said Mineral County's done. Northern lost yesterday, so it's on the campers. It's on the girls to bring home a title. They could do it. Oh, Patterson Mill, 22 0, it's not going to be easy. But if, any, if anybody, if anybody could lead Allegheny to a win, it's Kyra Pittman. Anytime she takes the mound, they got a chance to win. So we'll keep you, of course, updated. Uh, I don't even know when the game is, to tell you the truth. I have to look it up. Shame on me. Shame on me twice for not knowing that. All right. Uh, Rush line is open, 301-759-2628. If you know when that title game is, call me and let me know. Now, see, come on now. Somebody tuned in late. I got a, I got a message here. <laughs> of course, I'm kidding. Got a message here that says, Moorfield is in the state tournament too. Yeah, I, I said that. So, there you go. There you go. Uh, do, I have to, do I have to go over it again? Come on. I know it's early. Wake up. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, NBA, we talked about uh, the Sixers last hour blowing a 26-point lead in the third quarter, lost to the Hawks last night. The other number one seed in the Western Conference, the Jazz, they were hosting the Clippers. That series uh, tied at two games apiece. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I'm laughing at this message. I'm not going to say that's everybody. That's 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 the hard part about radio. Is <laughs> this guy? He messages back and says he's a 10 minute listener. That's the hard part about radio. Most people are. Most people are. We always talk about in radio. Uh, you kind of got to work on on 15 minute cycles. Right, the average commute is between fifteen and seventeen minutes. It goes up in in more densely populated areas, of course. So your listeners, they're constantly changing. They're constantly turning over. Right, whoever's listening at seven o'clock, they're probably not listening at seven fifteen. You got a whole new batch of listeners. Right, it's just it's just the way it goes. Which is why you know the advent of the podcast has been so good because anybody misses anything, they can go back and listen later on. That's why podcasts have become so huge. You don't have to tune in live every time. I, I wish you would. But if you missed anything, you can go back. It wasn't always the case. If you missed it, you missed it. Kind of like whenever you uh, missed your favorite song on the radio and you had to just kind of sit around and wait for it to come back on, you never knew. Today, you want to hear your favorite song, you just dial it up, right? It's that easy. So, yeah, I get it if, if you know, if you miss something because, again, listen to, the listenership is constantly changing. So, Jazz hosted the Clippers, and the big news before that game was that Kawhi Leonard, one of the best players in the association, the best player on the Clippers, was not going to play. 
He is he has a knee injury. So you would think, you would think that Utah, number one seed at home, facing the Clips without their best player, would win this game and take a three games to two lead. Uh, you would think. Crossover and splits a double team. George inside. Kick out man. Ball fake. Pumps fake. Drive middle to the rim. Oh! Terrence Mann slams over Gobert. Cannon and a foul. The kid is fearless. And the three-time defensive player of the year just caught another body inside. <laughs> that call on AM 570 LA Sports. Terrence Mann, thank you very much. Making it known early that the game would not be easy for the Jazz. And if they didn't get the message from Mann, they definitely got the message from Paul George. George, he's going one-on-one. He'll rise over the top. He got the foul call. He put it in. Paul George, the 18-footer is true. And a three-point play for PG-13. Tonight, the man has been rated R. And he'll go to the free-throw line. They try to give the Clippers a seven-point lead. He's up to 34 points. 37 points for Paul George, 16 rebounds, 5 assists. The Clippers without Kawhi Leonard. At Utah, they win the game, 119-111, to take a three-game-to-two lead in the series. George, the first player in Clippers history to have at least 35 points, 15 boards, 5 helpers, in a playoff game. After the game, here he is with uh, TNT. I, I thought this was our toughest uh, matchup this postseason. Um, this was the biggest game of our of our season, um, especially being down our best player. Uh, we wish Kawhi uh, the best in the speedy recovery, but uh, we knew coming into this, we, ha- we had to play together, we had to step up, but we didn't have to, to overly do it. I thought everybody played their roles. We did a great job. We played collectively. And um, against this team, you, you, you have to, you know, we, we limited our turnovers, and I thought that's what was the key tonight. When you took a look at the first half, they shot lights out. Then in the second half, you held them to just three made threes in the entire second half. Defensively, what was the key there? You stick with it. I mean, I thought a lot of their threes were tough ones. Uh, we didn't overreact. They came out hot. Um, good thing about it was we was able to weather, that, weather the storm. We came down. We attacked them on offense as well. Um, we just took their blows. We took their punches. Um, but I know uh, we, we just thought they couldn't sustain that over a full 48 game. When you take a look at where this series now is, you go up 3-2. You're heading home. You are one game away from heading to the Western Conference Finals. What's it going to take to close this thing out at home? Put this one behind us. Uh, get ready for uh, you know a rocking crowd back in L.A. Um, unbelievable opportunity we've got waiting for us back home. Um, we just got to go in, into the mindset uh, that we don't want to come back to Utah. Marcus Morris, 25 points. Reggie Jackson, 22 for the Clips. And they were down in this series 0-2. Oh, by the way, they lost the first two games in Utah. They've now won three straight. And they now have Utah on the ropes. Clippers shot 51% from the field last night without Kawhi Leonard. And you look at the stats and you wonder how Utah lost this game. They put Utah put six players in double figs. Bojan Bogdanovic, nine three-pointers. He had 32. Donovan Mitchell, 21. Rudy Gobert, 17 points, 11 boards. Six players in double figures, and he still lost at home. 
Now, not as big of a choke job as the Sixers, but it's still a pretty big choke job as far as I'm concerned. When you're at home, a pivotal game five, top seed, facing a team without their best player, and you lose by eight. That's a choke job. I'm sorry, that's a choke job. You can't lose that game. You can't. Not under those circumstances. In that situation, you can't lose that game. Well, obviously they can because they did, but you get the point. Paul George stepping up big time. Marcus Morris, big time. Reggie Jackson, big time. And we saw this in the nets Bucks series when the Nets didn't have Kyrie Irving, when they had a hobbled Harden who only scored, what, five points? And Kevin Durant stepped up and had a game for the ages. 49 points, 17 boards, 10 assists, triple dub. We saw him step up when the Nets needed him the most. 48 minutes, never sat down. And despite the injuries, beat the Bucs anyway in that pivotal game five. And now we see Paul George and the rest of the Clips step up when needed most without their leader, Kawhi Leonard, and they win the game. So all the credit goes to them for not folding, not feeling sorry for themselves, and finding a way to beat Utah without their best player. Both number one seeds last night. An opportunity at home to take control of the series, and both number one seeds failed. That's, as they say, why they play the games. Because you never know. Somebody else that needs a bunch of credit for the Clippers' win, according to Kendrick Perkins on ESPN, is uh, their head coach, Ty Lue. All I kept hearing is that Ty Lue, LeBron James saved Ty Lue, and that he had LeBron James, and that's why he went to the finals. He's not a good coach. Well, he keeps showing us. Every time his back against the wall, he come out victorious. And look, coming in tonight without your Batman and Kawhi Leonard, I thought he did a hell of a job of making adjustments, putting guys in position to be successful, putting Paul George in this spot, being outside of the floor where he got his isolation, relying on Reggie Jackson, playing Terrence Mann with meaningful minutes. Patrick Beverly, he didn't even play in the Dallas series. He came in. Ty Lue believed in him. He has been huge on the defensive side of things. I think they got it done collectively. And if I'm an AAU coach, a high school coach, a middle school coach, I'm showing them this game, this film tape on how to play team basketball and how to coach the hell out of a basketball game because that's what the hell Ty Lue did. Perk saying Ty Lue put some respect on that man's name. Can we please get Kendra Perkins out of the basement? Can ESPN do that? Isn't it time? Isn't it, isn't it time to get Perk out of the basement, out of the, the tunnel, and get him in studio? So he doesn't sound like that anymore. But it makes a great point. You know, coaching does factor into a game like that when you have to adjust on the fly without your best player. So the Clips, a chance to close out that series at home tomorrow. Just like the Hawks, a chance to close out their series against the Sixers at home tomorrow. Uh, We'll definitely have to wait and see. Now, there was a lot of other news in the NBA yesterday. 
And we'll talk about that next, including the team that's waiting on either the Clippers or the Jazz in the Western Conference Final. They might not have their best player or one of their best players when that series starts. We'll talk about that. And the Wizards need a new head coach. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. Speaking of uh, Thirsty Thursday, yesterday was a a Thirsty Wednesday. Uh, Me and uh, some of the fellas met up down at the DDB, and I got to tell you, they had... Uh, what was it? It was uh, like a an apple ale, which I never in my life would I ever thought that I'd be sitting here, let alone anywhere, uh, discussing apple ales. But I, I tell you what, it was pretty dark. It was pretty daggone good. It's pretty good. I don't know what's happening to me. I have no idea. My brother has been busting me up over the past couple of weeks. Over my, uh, what do you want to call it? My shift in attitude towards like, you know, breweries and, and craft beer. And I said before, uh, you know, I I have been but a simple caveman. Just give me, you know, give me some of the normal stuff and I'm, I'm good. Recently, that's that's changed. And my brother's just loving it. He's just like, you know, who are you? <laughs> What has happened to you? Because he, look, my brother lives uh, down in Virginia in the Richmond area where there's a brewery like on every block. So he's been a part of the the whole craft beer, you know, brewery, IPA scene for a long time. And anytime he'd bring it up to me, I would just like, just no, I'm not, you know, I'm not that guy. Right. Just give me again, give me one of the, you know, give me one of the lights. Give me, well, I don't want to say any brand names here, but, you know, just give me the basics. Just, just, give, me, just give me a can, just give me a beer, and just, just move on. Now, I can't even, like, picture myself drinking the other stuff anymore. And it's weird. It, it's, like, I never thought I'd be that guy. Because my brother sent me pictures, and he said, this is, is going to be you in, like, a month. And he has this picture of a guy with a big beard wearing an ascot riding a scooter. Now, look, it's not going to get that far. If it does, I'm in trouble. But uh, it's to say I've been expanding my horizons uh, when it comes to adult beverages. And now that I have, I, I think to myself, why have I waited so long? It's one, it's one of those deals. You know, I was, one, I was one of the last guys that I knew to get a cell phone. Seriously. I was one of the very last people that I knew to get a cell phone. I was just one of those people who was, you know what, I don't need one. Don't need one. I was railing against it. And I always said, I'm never getting a cell phone until I need one and don't have one. Well, guess what? I needed one one day, one night, and I didn't have one. Car broke down, coming back from work. I had to walk, I don't even know how many miles, to get to, thank this is going back a ways, there was still a pay phone. You know the plaza down in, is it Bel Air? Where they have the, the, the pizza shop and uh, the liquor store and some other things, you know what I'm talking about? There was actually a pay phone there. And I had to walk pretty much from 956 before. <clears throat> it's the, uh, it's where the old, uh, I don't even know if it's still there. Uh, there was a Med Express that building. 
I had to walk from there, past that motel, past 956, all the way to that plaza to make a phone call because my car broke down. I had a cell phone the next day. Right? So I <laughs> was one of those guys, I just I, I waited to the very last second until I actually needed one, and then I got one. So I've been putting this off forever as far as the beverages go. Railing against it, turning my nose up at it like, ah, craft beers. <laughs> you know, just give me a, a mineral light or whatever and be done with it. Now, uh, it's, it's, this stuff's pretty good. This stuff's pretty good. Just goes to show you that you're never too old to expand your horizons. You're never too old to try something new because you just might like it. Anyway, uh, DDB has the Apple Ale. I think, what was it called? Truth Be Told. And truth be told, uh, it was delicious. All right, uh, back to the NBA. We talked uh, Jazz Sixers blowing their games last night. There was a lot of other news going on in the association yesterday. Now, one of the big news nuggets was Kawhi Leonard being out of their game last night, the Clippers game. The other huge news nugget was Chris Paul with the Phoenix Suns, who... He has entered the NBA's health and safety protocols and is out indefinitely, which could jeopardize his status, his availability for the Western Conference Finals. And so the Suns, they're waiting for either the Clippers or the Jazz. They have no idea if CP3 is going to be available come game one of the finals because he's in this COVID protocol now. And the NBA, like most sports leagues, have been kind of shifting and changing their protocols as more people get vaccinated and whatnot. And CP3 could be facing a shorter absence from the team if he's vaccinated. And ESPN's Matt Barnes said that CP3 told him that he indeed has been vaccinated. So he may not be out as long as we might think. And uh, Suns head coach, Monty Williams, he was asked about it. He said uh, he doesn't know about game one. And they're going to reevaluate things Saturday and see where they go from there. So CP3 could be there for game one, could not be there for game one. With more, here is Mike Wilbon on PTI yesterday. Chris Paul has been vaccinated for a while. But even then, Tony, and you and I talked about this on the phone earlier today, you can test positive, and the, the chances of it are so small. I mean, I've talked to my friend, Dr. Jason Daniels, who you know out here, who's been in emergency medicine and dealing with COVID for over a year. And he said it's highly unlikely to test positive when you've been vaccinated, and even less likely to exhibit symptoms. But it happens in a rare, 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 rare case, and Chris Paul just appears to be unlucky, unlucky at this point. But you can shelter in place for 10 days, quarantine, or you can test negative twice and you can be reinstated. And that's from talking to the NBA. That can happen. And the CDC, Tony, there, there need to be, the NBA needs to update its protocols to match the CDC. And apparently right now, that is not the case. But you've got six days, best case scenario for Phoenix before a Tuesday game one of the Western Conference Finals. And I certainly hope that Chris Paul is going to be back and available and on the court even before then leading into that game one. Yeah, the Suns hope so as well. If the man's vaccinated, he should be, he should be available for that game one. Should, but you never know. You never know. So now the Suns have to deal with the possibility of not having 
the guy who's really one of the guys that's I mean, carrying them he all the way to the, to the conference finals. Other news yesterday, some front office news, some coaching news in the association. The Wizards and head coach Scott Brooks, they have parted ways. Uh, they could not settle on a new contract. Uh, Brooks' old contract expired the day that Washington uh, was bounced in the first round by the 76ers. In five seasons, Brooks was 183-207, and 207, three playoff appearances, and they went to the Eastern Conference semifinals in 2016-17. This year, got off to a slow start. Great second-half rally. Won the play-in tournament. Got in as an eight-seed, and they got and they lost to the Sixers. I know Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal. They were kind of pushing for Brooks to return, and not so much. So now we got to wait and see how that impacts. Uh, Bradley Beal, because Beal is entering the final year of his contract. And the Wizards say they were going to take all of that into consideration. They were going to take into consideration what Beal, you know, his feelings on it, and Westbrook, because Westbrook and Brooks were together in OKC. But end of the day, Wizards, you know, you know we're going to move in another direction. So now I got to wonder how that will affect Beal heading into that final year of his contract. Because that, obviously that's priority number one, for the Wizards in the offseason. Trying to get him extended, keeping him in Washington, and trying to find a new head coach. The Pelicans are also looking for a new head coach, telling Stan Van Gundy, get out of here, after just one season on the bench. Team Vice President David Griffin said that old Stan Van just wasn't the right fit. If we're not all in with each other, this doesn't work. And we reached the point where it was clear that energetically we were not going to be that. So that's what this decision is. This is something that was very, very difficult to execute, but it revealed itself over some very open, candid conversations with a really, really good man. Uh, With more on that, with more on uh, what Griffin just said there, Here's ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski. Woj! Certainly, as David Griffin alluded to, I think ultimately Griffin and Stan Van Gundy did not see eye to eye, I think, on team building, on on how they were going to approach this organization moving forward together. And this is just after one year where they really got to know each other in the interview process, didn't know each other very well before that. And now certainly, listen, the clock is always ticking when you're in a smaller market and you've got young star players in your organization. Zion Williamson will be up for his rookie extension next year. He'll be on his third coach in three years. Uh, maybe Stan Van Gundy can now spend more time, you know, uh, tweeting about how much he hates Donald Trump. And one final NBA news nugget. A longtime Dallas Mavericks prez and general manager Donnie Nelson is out after 24 seasons with the franchise. With more on that, here is the Athletics' uh, John Hollinger. That actually really surprised me because Mark Cuban has had a Nelson in charge of his basketball operation for the entire quarter century or whatever that he's, that he's on the Mavericks. And so now he's uh, going out into uncharted waters a little bit. It's a really interesting situation there, and it's interesting because whoever ends up you know, captaining that ship has some really important decisions coming up right away they have cap room. They have Tim Hardaway Jr.'s free agency. They have to figure out 
whether they want to go forward with Chris Stapp's Porzingis or if they want to go in a new direction there, they have some really important franchise-level decisions to make within the next 6 to 12 months. So a whole lot of moving and shaking going on in the NBA, not just on the court but off as well. Head coaching vacancies, front office vacancies. All right, one final break. Come back to wrap things up. We'll get into the Stanley Cup playoffs. Could the Golden Knights take a 2-0 lead over the Canadiens? Or could Montreal tie the series up in Vegas? Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230. WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. Before we get out of here, let's check on the player who delivered. Brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard. How about this guy right here? George, he's going one-on-one. He'll rise over the top. He got the foul call. He put it in. Paul George, the 18-footer is true. And a three-point play for PG-13. Tonight, the man has been rated R. And he'll go to the free-throw line. They try to give the Clippers a seven-point lead. He's up to 34 points. PG-13. Without Kawhi Leonard, out with a knee injury, 37 points, a playoff career-high 16 boards, Five assists to lead the Clippers to a 119-111 win over the top-seeded Jazz in Utah in the pivotal uh, Game 5 to give the Clips a 3-2 series lead. Stepping up big time without their leader on the floor, Paul George, PG-13, our player who delivered, brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard. And there goes that one in the file. Stanley Cup playoffs last night in Vegas. Golden Knights trying to take a 2-0 series lead against Montreal. That didn't happen. Bob Byron negotiates back a little bit further. The play is just the way the Canadians would want it right now. You'd have to think. A breakaway. Byron right into the backhand. And he shoots and scores. Paul Byron found his way in behind the defense. He roofed it. And it's 3-0 Montreal. The call on TSN 690. Montreal wins 3-2. Vegas got two goals from Alex Petrangelo late. Had a chance. I mean, there's plenty of time left, but uh, Golden Knights couldn't tie the game. So Montreal gets the 3-2 win. They tie the series at 1-1. The Canadiens have had uh, eight. I'm sorry, not eight. Six. Six wins on the road. This postseason, that's the most of any team in the playoffs. One of the keys, according to ESPN's Barry Melrose, to winning on the road is getting that first goal. Well, the first one's the most important because they took the crowd out of the game. The crowd was there to win another game and on the way to uh, the Stanley Cup with two more wins on the road. So they thought it was going to be a sweep in this series. Uh, They played great after that. They checked. They blocked shots. 58% of the the shots... uh, 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 the Montreal Canadiens uh, didn't get through. Uh, great job on draws. Uh, just a fantastic job that way also. But again, they took the crowd out of there. Uh, it was calm after that, and it took them two periods to get it back. They got it back in the third period, and they had a great third period. But the first two periods, Montreal's checking game into defensive and Carey Price really shut the, uh, Vegas down. Tonight, it's uh, game three between the Lightning and Islanders. That series tied at 1-1, uh, game three on the Island. And just, I don't know, two hours from now, the U.S. Open 
uh, will tee off at Torrey Pines in Cali. Bryson DeChambeau is the defending Open champion. A lot of money being put down on old lefty Phil Mickelson. (laughs) This is absolutely insane. More bets have been placed on Phil Mickelson to win the U.S. Open than any other golfer at multiple U.S. sportsbooks. At Caesars Sportsbook uh, by William Hill, Mickelson has attracted nearly twice as many bets as any other golfer. He is a 50-to-1 long shot. A lot of people betting on lefty to complete that career grand slam. ESPN's Andy North on what lefty has to do to accomplish just that. I think basically which Phil shows up. If it's the Phil Mickelson we saw at the PJ, I think there's a very good chance he could do it. He was totally focused. He was playing within himself. He didn't do some of the silly things that we see Phil do being Phil sometimes. So if that Phil shows up, it's on a golf course that he struggled on a little bit, but it is at home. Uh, He's got a lot of things going on. He's had a great last 10 days of preparation. Andy, I got to tell you, if he's a contender heading into the weekend, that crowd will also carry him. And he feeds off of that. You've walked the course. You've seen these guys on the range. Who's your pick to win it this week? I really like John Rahm. I think he's coming in with a purpose. What happened to him at Muirfield in the COVID situation a couple weeks ago? He's playing well. He's played this golf course beautifully. I mean, he's 51 under par his last five tournaments that they play here earlier in the year. He loves the place. He has length. This place just brings something good out of him, and I think he's got got a chance to get it done. Rom, oh, by the way, is a 9-1 to favorite uh, to win the Open. He is the only golfer, as of yesterday morning, the only golfer who had single-digit odds, 9-1. to Dustin Johnson, DeChambeau, and Brooks Kepka, you know, they're buds. <laughs> they're all at 18 to 1. Uh, Rory, Jordan Spieth, and uh, Xander Shoffley was uh, 20 to 1. And that those odds, according to, again, uh, Caesar's Sportsbook at William Hill. If, if Lefty somehow manages to win this major, uh, Caesar says that it's expecting to have a seven figure liability on the 50 to 1 shot. If if those bets hit, they'll be dishing out seven figures. That's in case you don't know, that that's millions. Now, is it going to happen? Probably not. Probably not. I couldn't imagine Mickelson winning back-to-back majors. I couldn't imagine, but you never know. Nobody thought he would win the PGA and look what happened. So again, the US Open Tory Pines uh teeing off here around 9.45. And, of course, we'll talk about that more uh, tomorrow. Uh, also tomorrow being Friday, oh, by the way, programming note, uh, Joe Shuda, my main man Joe, will have another Rush Friday feature. This is a really good one. They're all really good. He catches up with former Major Leaguer Dimitri Young. So don't miss that. There's no baseball uh, tonight. Nationals and Pirates are both off. So well, when I say that, I mean there's no Nats game on the station tonight because – well, there's no Nationals uh, baseball tonight. So, with the, well, with the Pirates being off, at least they can't lose, right? Do we know that for sure? They can't. <laughs> they can't lose their 11th straight if they're off. 
if anybody could find a way, uh, they could. All right, Amanda's coming up next with the Tri-State today. I'll be back tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. sharp. See you then. This is the Morning Rush. I am Tony C., and I am done. Bye.